And we believe that AI tools and generative AI will help them move the needle forward in exciting new ways that we may not even be able to predict right now. It's this intersection we're witnessing between messaging platforms, large language models, and new generative AI-powered tools that will be ultimately transformative. That's Andrea Gellert, Global Vice President of Business and Product Marketing at Meta, our sponsor on this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Andrea about generative AI, the new features the company is rolling out, the responsibility required with the technology, and the thought process behind the latest developments. Welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kamika McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor. Kaylee, we are recording this on Friday, November 17th, so before Thanksgiving, giving everybody a little a little holiday treat, a, a Black Friday of our own, if you will. <laughs> yeah, we are at the... We are stacking up podcast intros uh, before we're both off for the holiday, um, which is... I'm excited for that break. I'll be honest. It'll be you nice. You and me both you and me both what are you on the hook are you on the hook for anything um at this year's gathering yeah so in my family i'm always tasked with um making apple pie we have a family recipe that is very easy uh, but it's like a dutch apple pie that my grandmother had had um that i now produce i also am tasked with making approximately four dozen chocolate chip cookies um oh, i God. use vanilla pudding mix in the chocolate chip cookie batter it is very good. I highly recommend people look up that recipe. But then also I try to do like a cornbread casserole. Uh, my sister and I oscillate back and forth every year on who makes the green bean casserole. So I'm like a sides and dessert kind of person. I am in the same boat. I actually also am tasked with apple pie. So if you don't mind, love to have that recipe. Same thing for the chocolate chip cookies. Sounds amazing. Um, but I'm on the hook for apple pie and then sweet potato pie. I, my mom asked me to make banana pudding, but I felt like that's such a weird thing to bring to Thanksgiving. It's more of a summer dish. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Also, you could just like order some from like Magnolia Bakery. They do deliver it uh, to different states if you wanted to just like cut some corners. I have been slaving over their recipe for years, and I did not know that they could just send it to my door. I mean, it's <laughs> if you have find joy in making that recipe, by all means, but I'm kind of an advocate for like, if you could do it easier, why not just do it easier? Like there are certain things, like family recipes I get, like you really can't replicate that. But like, I don't know. I feel like Magnolia Bakery has a pretty good grasp on the banana pudding recipe so they do they've got me in chokehold i'll say that much same <laughs> so, so for this week's episode you chatted with google's vp of global ads dan taylor which is very exciting given they've got a lot going on in the midst of a doj suit um they're also getting ready to remove third-party cookies next year that's been a long time coming and, and everything else so what'd you guys talk about Yeah. So first question, it has been a very long time coming. Uh, The first question I had for him was really around the timeline, like, can we expect cookies will be removed from the Chrome platform uh, or the Chrome browser by the end of 2024? And Dan says, yes, that is still the goal. That is still the plan. So we go over the timeline of full cookie deprecation. And because like as of January, the plan is to remove cookies from 1% of Chrome's users. That's mm-hmm. when a lot of their like cookie alternatives are going to be put to a real true test. Um, some of these things like the Google Privacy Sandbox and uh, Topics API, those have been tested while cookies have been suppressed last year. And we talk a little bit about the test and what you know some of the true things that they saw were. But honestly, there is like... A lot that will kind of be really fleshed out and and the results will show for real next year once these cookies are are starting to be removed. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I am still a little bit skeptical of that timeline just because of past years that deadline gets pushed and pushed. But we've had a timeline before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the this is hopefully the 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 end of the saga, but um excited to get into the conversation with Dan and with no further ado, we'll get to it. Thank you. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Great, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. 
So there is quite a bit going on, not only with Google, but kind of in the digital advertising industry at large. Lots of change coming down the pike as well. Um, Google is looking to remove third-party cookies from Chrome next year. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the ad market right now. Privacy concerns out the wazoo. Uh, just a lot going on. So I'm excited to get into it with you and chat over, you know, what's been going on this year, outlook for 2024, and just kind of pick your brain brain a little bit. Um, but I guess the first question I have is just really kind of setting the stage, clarifying the timeline for cookie removal from Chrome and what the kind of different stages are. Um, I believe January 2024 was the time to remove about like 1% of third-party cookies. But yeah, if we could just kind of run through that timeline real quick. Sure. I think to take a step back, uh, what we're really trying to address with the Privacy Sandbox initiative is that you know people are really concerned about how their data is being used online uh, and who it's being shared with. In fact, 81% of Americans uh, are concerned about their privacy online. Yet at the same time, they would like relevant experiences in their digital uh, consumption, right? Uh, you, know, you think about TikTok, you think about YouTube, you think about your favorite website that you visit. Um, that experience is better when it's personalized and customized to the things that you're interested in. Uh, and uh, up to 74% of people also want relevant ad experiences to go along with that. And so we have this opportunity to address consumers' concerns about privacy, yet still deliver relevant advertising experiences for those consumers. And so uh, what the Privacy Sandbox Initiative is all about is delivering against both of those goals. And so um, to your question specifically about timeline, uh, the, the Privacy Sandbox team, which is uh, run by the Chrome and Android uh, folks inside of Google, um, they have set a timeline uh, to develop the APIs, to make them generally available, to allow for a period of testing, and then to begin uh, the phase-out of third-party cookies. And as you mentioned, Kaylee, uh, the, the APIs themselves went to general availability in September, and so they're fully available to all cone traffic, and uh, we're seeing uh, ad tech companies, including Google's own ad technology uh, solutions, uh, testing those APIs now. And in January of 2024, uh, Chrome is going to go ahead and deprecate 1% uh, of third-party cookies, so for 1% of users, essentially. Uh, and that'll give uh, the ad tech uh, industry the opportunity to test uh, in a real-world environment, both the availability of those APIs and the unavailability of third-party cookies. Uh, and then in the second half of 2024 uh, begins the phased um, deprecation of third-party cookies. Um, I get all of my information from the same place that all of our ad technology providers do on privacysandbox.com slash timeline. Got it. And so I guess is it either fair or accurate to say that by the end of 2024, all third-party cookies will have been removed from Chrome, or is the timeline a little bit more extended? No, I think you have it right. The, our understanding and what our ads products are building toward, what our measurement providers are building toward, is that cookies will be phased out completely from Chrome uh, at the end of 2024. Got it. All right. You heard it here, confirmed. Um, so I'm curious to, like, Obviously, this timeline has been delayed in the past or there's been, you know, modifications to the timeline. I think when my former co-host Tim had uh, Google on the podcast last, the, I think, estimated timeline was end of 2023. So it got bumped in that, like, you know, year or so since. I guess, is there anything that could potentially delay that timeline again, whether it's like pressure from external players, again, kind of given the challenges to the digital ad market this past year, um, or anything that around the development of alternative, you know, cookie alternatives that could play into that? Or is it pretty, you know, set in stone? Well, the Privacy Sandbox Initiative is a novel collaboration uh, between uh, Chrome and Android and then the uh, United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority, as well as the UK's um, Privacy uh, Commissioner's Office. And so um, what Google did was they agreed to a set of commitments uh, with those regulators, a privacy regulator and a competition regulator in the UK, uh, that uh, Google would develop solutions to address the key advertising uh, and consumer use cases uh, that third-party cookies serve today um, before they began a phase-out of the third-party cookies. 
And so the reason I take a moment to explain all that is it is a collaboration between the Competition Markets Authority and Google, as well as the ecosystem participants. And as you've probably seen and read and heard from other uh, players in the industry, uh, the privacy sandbox is being developed very much out in the open uh, through forums like the W3C and others. And so you've seen uh, things change, you've seen things move, you've seen attributes be added, you've seen responses to feedback. Uh, and so uh, we really see the uh, this overall initiative uh, being a partnership with the CMA, with the entire ecosystem. And so um, the uh, opportunity to phase out third-party cookies is something all the participants want to see. Uh, I've seen that uh, in uh, in summits. I've seen that in talking to customers. Uh, people are excited to move into the post-third-party cookie era, and they're excited to test these new technologies. And so I think everyone's working towards the same outcome in the same timeline. Excited is one word for it. <laughs> I feel like there's also some hesitancy or some um, maybe frustration with parties who are not actively pursuing, you know, post-cookie solutions. There's been a lot of people clinging on to third-party cookies for some time. But um, I do understand that building kind of anticipation to just kind of like, you know, pull the plug on on it once and for all. But um, I am curious, like you referenced the APIs. I know Topics is one of them. Could you run through what those are, what is currently being offered, and how they kind of you know, fit into the privacy sandbox, you know, testing and learning phase. Sure. Uh, before I do, Kaylee, I'd love to touch on a point that you made around uh, uh, some people are uncomfortably excited about mm-hmm. the end of third-party cookies because they're still very familiar and uh, entrenched in the legacy technologies, which quite frankly led to the state of people's concerns about privacy online. And uh, the conversations I have with with those partners and customers is really, uh, regardless of where you stand philosophically on whether third-party cookies should stay or go, uh, they're largely uh, already deteriorating in so many different surfaces. Uh, you think about uh, the state of consent with GDPR and more. Uh, you think about Safari and every other major browser. You think about iOS and app tracking transparency. And so regardless of your state of play, um, things have moved. And, and the direction of travel is towards making an internet as more private that doesn't track people, uh, but still delivers advertising use cases. And so when I hear that customers would rather stick to the status quo because it's more comfortable and more easy, uh, I first of all say, well, you're, you're up to four years behind already, if that's your point of view. Uh, and second, it, it also reminds me of um, the pivot to mobile, right? So, uh, you know, I was working in ads in 2010 and um, and, and it was a very predictable pattern that I see repeating itself, which is, first of all, everyone wants to ignore the problem, right? Like, my desktop campaigns are working just fine. And then they get angry when the tools and the systems that they built just don't properly work well, right? Like the fat thumb problem with ad formats or, uh, you know, not being able to measure appropriately. And then once you sort of get over kind of the inconvenience of this consumer shift or this change in consumer sentiment, you embrace new technologies and it unlocks new periods of innovation. I think that's the correct argument to make because it is like, you're right, like kind of you're really slow behind. Granted, there is like, I think a lot of pressure on, you know, the people that are kind of in charge of operating programmatic budgets or, you know, understanding like how to how to target the right campaigns and things like that. I don't envy the media buyer in any way, shape or form. Their job is very challenged right now. But um, no, I do. I do agree that it is something that has been talked about for quite a long time. So resistance to it at this point seems a little Flintstones-esque maybe. (laughs) So touching on, again, some of these like cookie alternatives, like, um, you know, the privacy sandbox um, and getting into like those API offerings, um, would love to kind of, you know, maybe set the stage, lay out what is you know, being tested by Google. Because I know that there were some other, you know, former... um, third-party cookie alternatives that have been, you know, sunsetted in the testing process, the learning process, but what's currently available now? Sure. Uh, So I'm going to focus in on the APIs that are um, most specific to advertising use cases for purposes of our conversation. And the ones that I think about are um, either focused on delivering relevant ads to consumers uh, or focused on delivering uh, measurement to advertisers and to publishers that, that are measuring you know, actions taken based on uh, exposure to advertising. And so in the uh, relevance side, uh, there's two main APIs that we're testing. The first one is called the Topics API. 
on the Topics API is this notion of um, having an understanding of what a consumer uh, is interested in at any given point when they're exposed to the opportunity to see an ad. And the way that that is uh, generated is through an API uh, developed by Chrome uh, and also you know, freely available to other browsers to adopt uh, that understands a consumer's browsing behavior uh, and then classifies that browsing behavior into a set of categories. And so, you know, it could be I'm interested in buying a car in the next six months or I'm interested in going to the movies next week. And so um, what the API does is provide that signal uh, as part of a bid request, let's say, in programmatic. And then the advertiser, the, uh, the technology uh, provider that the advertiser is using, can see that interest category or that topic quite literally, uh, in the bid request and then choose whether that makes sense for their advertiser to bid against. And so, you know, if I'm uh, Toyota and someone's interested in buying a car in a six month and I see that as a topic that's available, I'm going to want to advertise on that. The difference um, relative to status quo, if you will, uh, is that the API provides a signal without providing any insight into the individual user um, that is seeing that ad. And so historically, one of the, the, the largest challenges with uh, third-party cookies is that um, pretty much any provider with a little bit of uh, a coding skill can uh, drop a tag on a web page and build a, a pretty unique, specific profile um, to an individual consumer. And so one of the big mindset shifts uh, with the Topics API relative to third-party cookies, and really this is true with all the APIs, is moving from this notion that you can deliver performing ads without the same level of precision that the industry had become accustomed to um, at its own peril, quite frankly. And so the topics, are they assigned based on, like, it, it sounds very, like, contextual in a way, but is it based on, like, you know, search phrases or, like, the the websites that they're going to on the browser? Like, curious how they're kind of interested in seeing a movie this week. That very much reads to me as someone Googling, like, AMC movie times or something like that. It's important to point out at this stage that um, search query behavior does not feed into the privacy sandbox APIs in any way, uh, and whether it's uh, Google or any other search engine that's out there. So the Topics API is based on an understanding of that user's browsing behavior to different websites around the web. And so it's the types of websites that, you, that you're interested in. And so uh, if you're interested in going to see a movie this weekend, so you know I'm trying uh, to get my son to go see the Marvels with me on Saturday, right? And so first I uh, look up uh, trailers to see if it's a movie that we'd be interested in. Then we take a, a look at movie show times, for example. And so what that does is it sends a, a signal, quite literally, to the browser that this guy's interested in seeing a movie in a relatively short time frame. And so that I'm uh, theoretically then placed into a category of someone interested in seeing movies. And those, and those topics can change over time, which means I'm not going to forever be interested in seeing a movie. And so they're, they're, they're time-bound, and those topics for an individual uh, user, an individual cohort, uh, will rotate uh, over a certain time period, 7, 14 days, things like that. Okay, so it's like an indeterminate amount of time based on like you know, if someone's interested in buying a car, I'm guessing that, you know, research process is going to take a little bit longer than seeing a movie on that weekend or something. Exactly. And you want to have continued signals from that uh, set of consumers that, that indicates they still have some level of interest. How many topics are there? Are, are they like constantly being changed well, that's or added? A, uh, the specific number I would have to get back to you on. But what I can tell you is that, you know, uh, the Chrome team had initially uh, laid out a relatively generic set of topics. And then, um, over uh, you know several iterations of feedback within the W3C and talking to industry trades uh, has really aligned much more towards uh, a, a more industry standard taxonomy uh, similar to what the IAB provides in terms of types of interest categories, uh, which would also make it much easier for the programmatic ecosystem to adopt those things. And so I'm glad you brought that up because that's a direct uh, output or, or iteration based on um, feedback from the ecosystem that we're testing those out. Yeah, because I'm, I'm guessing if it wasn't based on a set taxonomy, there is quite a lot of very niche um, topics that could stem from any one individual's search, or not search, but like, uh, you know, browser behavior, like web traffic. Um, that could get pretty specific, I would say. Yeah, so I guess like curious at this stage, and this is a question I have for both the privacy sandbox and also topics, because you 
mentioned, you're kind of in the test and learn phase. You're, you know, they're open for people to try. What is the like current, um, like percentage of advertisers and publishers in your network that have adopted, I'll ask privacy sandbox first, because I think that's the broader piece, but that have adopted privacy sandbox. So thanks for the question. The way that I would like to address this is something that we've been talking with advertisers and partners for well over a year on. And so the Privacy Sandbox APIs, uh, as we're incorporating them into our advertising systems, um, we see them as largely a back-end signal that informs our current advertising offerings. And so uh, to the point you made a bit earlier about um, uh, advertisers and programmatic businesses being worried about the disruption uh, that this new technology will provide and how am I going to continue to uh, deliver results and, and not have to recreate everything that, that I built my practice upon. And so we take that to heart in terms of how we're building it within Google Ads and Google Marketing Platform. And so, for instance, uh, going back to the Topics API, uh, we offer uh, a taxonomy of, uh, of interests today uh, called Google Audiences, and it's the same sort of thing, right? Interested in seeing a movie, interested in, in buying a car in the next few months. Uh, and today, uh, that is largely fueled by a combination of contextual uh, signals that we get uh, based on what's on the page in that moment. Are you visiting a car website like Car and Driver or um, Consumer Reports? Will that will an ad on that placement be contextually relevant to you? Uh, it's based on a combination of information that we get from publishers about um, uh, behavior that happens on, on their site uh, that, that would be an expression of intent. And it comes from third-party cookies, right? So our understanding of web browsing behavior based on Google's own third-party cookie that's placed on publisher partner sites across the web. And so as we evolve our offering, where third-party cookies are no longer going to be an um, ingredient in the soup, if you will, we replace that signal with the signal from the Topics API. And so an advertiser doesn't then have to go into their Google Ads interface and make changes to their campaign or distinctly say, I'd like to opt into Topics. They're opting into using Google Audiences, of which Topics is a part. So they're currently testing API in conjunction with the um, or the APIs in conjunction with the um, like cookies that are operating on the browser right now. Um, so it's... I guess not until like January rolls around where the 1% of third-party cookies is removed from, or I guess like 1% of the audience has opted out of third-party cookies on the browser, that those APIs will be like tested in full force in a fully like non-reliant on cookies way, like totally absent from them? Uh, yes, with a caveat. I think um, what you described is correct. So when uh, 1% of cookies um, are deprecated from Chrome, we will have a real-world testing environment that everyone will be able to operate in at the same time uh, to understand with the absence of a third-party cookie signal and the um, input of something like the Topics or Protected Audience API, for example, um, how will campaigns change, right? How will performance change? How will volume change? How will ad relevance change? Uh, will it get better? Will it stay the same? Will it get worse? That'll be the moment when you can really have a visceral understanding of that, which is one of the reasons uh, from my understanding, that Chrome decided to do that starting in January to create kind of that real-world test uh, environment. The caveat that I mentioned is that um, in Q2 of this year, uh, we conducted an experiment uh, in Google Ads uh, on topics specifically where we suppressed third-party cookies uh, and replaced it with topics. And so we kind of created the environment in which that could happen. Uh, and again, um, you know, the topic signal combined uh, with um, contextual information and publisher-provided um, information uh, gave us that uh, offering that we believe is going to be quite close to what we end up offering to consumers uh, once the APIs uh, are fully integrated and third-party cookies are fully deprecated. And so what we saw there was that um, you know, topics combined with those additional you know, privacy-preserving signals delivered a pretty high degree of fidelity. And so and we looked at that across a few different um, axes. The first one being um, scale, right? Was an advertiser able to um, you know, reach their same level of audience? And that was uh, you know, r- roughly 90 plus percent uh, d- degree of um, scale. Second, we looked at um, performance. And that for us, that was a, a number of conversions per dollar spent. And again, we saw really high fidelity there. Uh, and then finally, we used, um, what, was it relevant? And so um, we used an online proxy, which was click-through rate. We saw over a 90% click-through rate um, relative to status quo third-party cookies. And so that gives us good intention or good um, signal that we're, we're on the right path. 
uh, with regard to these APIs, but it's still um, seeing them tested in a real-world environment is something we're looking forward to. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by Meta, we speak with Andrea Gellert, the company's Global Vice President of Business and Product Marketing, about generative AI, the new features the company is rolling out, the responsibility required with the technology, and the thought process behind the latest developments. AI is just fundamental to every aspect of our business, and it's been an integral part in Meta's DNA easily since the launch of Feed in 2006. Uh, What's really exciting is that the recent advances in Gen AI will unlock so many new opportunities for business of all sizes. Uh, AI, and specifically Gen AI, will help make ads more performant, allow for personalization at scale, so they reach the customers they need to, to grow. So for example, with Advantage Plus shopping campaigns, instead of an advertiser manually setting up many different campaigns, which can take an enormous amount of effort. And and also, you know, you might be guessing some of the time, uh, instead of doing that, they set up one single campaign and we automatically test hundreds of different combinations to optimize for the highest performing ones. Not only does AI make it easier to test and run multiple variations of a campaign, but it continues to optimize for whatever's performing best and is evolving to make creating social media specific ads even easier and more effective. The three new features we've launched are image expansion, background generation, and text variation. And image expansion allows you to seamlessly adjust creative assets to fit different aspect ratios across multiple ad surfaces like feed or reels. And this allows businesses the freedom to spend less time and resources on repurposing assets and much more time on critical work. Meta's background generation tool helps teams craft multiple backgrounds that complement their product images while also tailoring them for different audiences. So for example, if a business wants to test out the way their product looks on a beach versus a snowy mountain versus an urban setting, this feature allows them to do so. The text variation tool is similar in that it creates multiple versions of an ad's text based on the original copy. This means multiple opportunities to better connect with audiences. While it's common for teams to focus on the visual aspects of creatives, the copy is crucial too. It can offer personality and draw consumers in. And what we've heard from businesses who have conducted early testing of these meta features is that half of them estimate that generative AI will save them five or more hours a week, which is the equivalent of one month a year. And I don't know about you, but I could sure use a month's worth of time back in my schedule. While the time-saving factor of AI is huge for marketers, some are still wary of engaging with the technology heavily without knowing more about the guardrails being put in place. Luckily, there are solutions out there being created responsibly. You know, building new technology always comes with the responsibility to develop best practices and policies. And while there are many exciting and creative uses for generative AI, it won't always be perfect. So what we're doing is we're building safeguards into our AI features and models before we launch them. Like, for example, we have notices that help people understand the limits of generative AI and integrity classifiers that help us catch and remove dangerous responses. And in keeping with our overall commitment to responsible AI, we also stress test our products to improve safety performance. And we believe that AI tools and generative AI will help them move the needle forward in like exciting new ways that we may not even be able to predict right now. You've been listening to Andrea Gellert, Global Vice President of Business and Product Marketing at Meta, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. Thank you for sharing kind of like the results that you've seen so far. I am curious because like, um, you know, click-through rate is a, you know, a pretty standard KPI for performance. Do you think that there's going to be any changes to how programmatic is measured going forward with the removal of cookies and what KPIs will be kind of, you know, um, top of mind or used to kind of measure success. I think, and this is kind of larger, you know, what's been going on in the ad industry this year, kind of holistically, like the um, switch towards more attention metrics and the, you know, concerns around like made for advertising sites and, you know, viewability as like a KPI, I think kind of made some, um, advertisers reassess their KPIs and and things like that. But I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on the state of like performance and measurement for digital ads, you know, in a post cookie environment. So I have a few different thoughts there. Uh, the first one being, 
I think that advertisers have already been thinking through how to evolve their performance advertising measurement specifically over the span of the last five years. And so uh, increasingly what we're seeing, uh, either due to the state of consent or changes to other platforms and so on, marketers have less signal than they've had before that can be directly observed. And so what um, we see most marketers doing and what we're doing within our own products and services is we're utilizing a, a, a ground truth, if you will, right, which is, which is based on signal that we can observe. And then we're modeling in places where we don't have that signal. So, for example, uh, you know, a consumer has consented to not have, uh, you know, measurement uh, cookie dropped or, um, you know, a, a consumer has not uh, agreed to uh, ATT, for example. Uh, and so um, we're taking the a combination of ground truth and then modeling that out to deliver results. And so we've been doing conversion modeling in Google Ads for, for several years now. Um, what I think has become interesting as a, as a rising trend here uh, is increasing the level of ground truth that advertisers want to bring to their campaign practice and through, the, through sort of the use of first-party data. And so this can involve... Um, you know, Google tools like, um, you know, Google Analytics, where, you know, you can have site-wide uh, first-party data that can help inform your measurement. Uh, or Enhanced Conversions, which is a tool where an advertiser can tell us uh, measurement that they've measured on their end uh, based on relationships that they have with their end consumers, and it's not measured uh, by a third-party technology. And so what that does is it increases the corpus of uh, observed data you can then use to build stronger models on. I wanted to ask you, too, because it's something that I had written a little bit about um, after the pre-bid summit last month, a couple weeks ago at this point. I'm not exactly sure of the timeline. Honestly, I don't know. The fall has been kind of like blurring past. I don't know if that's the same for you. Um, Labor, but, Labor Day, Halloween, Christmas. That's pretty yeah, much how it goes in the fall. Yeah. Thanksgiving doesn't even exist at this point. I can't <laughs> even. Um, but the at the pre-bid summit, I had spoken with a couple of publishers and other attendees about um, interoperability and how the privacy sandbox will, I think, meant to be a very like universally kind of used solution, um, something to really make sure privacy is is upheld on the internet. Um, but I think one of the concerns was that given the fact that Google slash really any major player in the online space is really like to a degree inherently walled garden to some degree. There's concerns that other solutions like pre-bid in this example um, would be possibly inherently disadvantaged um, because it would be dependent on what Google gives it to succeed. And I'm curious as privacy sandboxes developed, as um, cookies go away and as like, you know, we're looking at a post-cookie world where the ad industry at large has to kind of either work together or not really like find a solution. What your kind of, I guess, thoughts are on interoperability and being able to find solutions that work holistically without like disadvantaging any existing partner looking at cookie-less solutions? Sure. Yeah, I understand the question. So where I think this is headed is the the Privacy Sandbox and the Chrome and Android team are developing this technology to be used by any publisher, any sell-side platform, any demand-side platform, quite frankly, any ad technology overall. It's one of the reasons why it was developed out in the open. Um, one of the, some of the questions around pre-bid were whether they would have uh, the ability to support you know, multi-selling uh, technology. And so one of the things around pre-bid is sort of this notion of header bidding, right? And so um, Ad Manager being one of the uh, you know, first companies to line up to test these APIs in the first place, it being part of Google, um, we designed that to be interoperable as well. Uh, we know that publishers are working with multiple sell-side technologies. And so we launched support for multi-seller auctions during Privacy Sandbox Origin trial, which is before they were even available uh, for uh, general availability testing, and quite frankly, before other sell-side technologies were even ready to test. And so I think we've done a lot of work there, uh, both structurally and how the Sandbox initiative is designed to make sure that all participants in the ecosystem uh, have an equal opportunity to build on top of these technologies and deliver results for their customers. Uh, in fact, the initiative is a failure if it's not something that can be broadly adopted by the ecosystem. Uh, and secondarily, making sure that we provide tools for Google Ad Manager customers to use the providers of their choice uh, interoperably. The average uh, large publisher you know, uses up to six different sell-side platforms at any given moment. We want to make sure that our tools build for that reality. 
Got it. Got it. And there's slightly more written upon that topic um, in our media briefing from back in, again, I think this is October. So if readers are curious on that topic, they can go back and and read more. But I did want to mention that to you. And so uh, sticking with Privacy Sandbox and the testing and learning phase that you're seeing that you're working on there. There was a partnership announced between Group M and Google about testing on the Privacy Sandbox. Um, And I'm curious if additional tests will be done uh, with like agencies or holding companies of this degree to, you know, I guess, do some larger scale testing and learning within Privacy Sandbox. My understanding, Kaylee, of that uh, partnership is something that came out uh, organically uh, and uh, working with both the Privacy Sandbox team on Chrome and Android, as well as uh, Group M, who's uh, always been a good partner to us, uh, as well as uh, other uh, holding companies who want to invest in the uh, in the technology. And so uh, the partnership that was announced is really uh, a signal that the agency community really sees an opportunity uh, to add incremental value uh, to this evolution, right, to this moment in time where we're moving from, you know, precision-based uh, technologies that that have uh, um, privacy trade-offs uh, to ones that are really predictive in nature. And so we're excited to see the, the Chrome and Android team lean in with, with Group M on that. Uh, and I think you'll probably see more partnerships like that to come. And so with the, the Group M-specific partnership, I'm curious, like, if you have any more insight into what exactly is being done with that relationship and what the goal is for that test. I don't, uh, primarily because that's um, the, the partnership is between Chrome uh, and uh, and Group M as opposed to with Google Ads Arm specifically. And my colleague Ronan Shields is, I think, writing about this too, so uh, listeners can go back and um, read, read. I guess, again, like two weeks ago at this point. It's hard to say because we're recording November 14th, but I think this episode goes live the 28th. Take a look at the archives, listeners. And so I also wanted to ask, because I would be probably a bad journalist if I didn't mention what's going on with the DOJ suit, but I did want to ask if there's been any changes made to Google's ad tech products in light of the suit, um, whether it's looking at, you know, maybe interoperability, working with external partners, things of that nature. But I did want to touch on that topic for a second. Mm, Okay. Um, so we disagree uh, with the DOJ's claims. Uh, we have no intention of, of selling or divesting this business. Um, in fact, we're, we're focused more than ever on helping our publisher partners and our advertiser uh, partners deliver uh, great ROI and great monetization, especially in a time of economic and geopolitical and many other types of uncertainty that we're all living in today. Um, the the fact of the matter is our tools are interoperable. And so, uh, you know, Google's... Um, uh, demand side uh, business, we buy into over 80 different ad exchanges at, at any given moment. Uh, and our um, ad manager and ad exchange uh, take demand from hundreds of different um, advertiser platforms. Uh, and not only do we buy and sell into those different platforms, we do so billions of times a day, giving um, competing ad technology all the opportunity in the world uh, to innovate, uh, win auctions, uh, provide ROI for their advertisers and monetization for their publisher customers. In literally real time, that's why they call it real-time bidding. And so we feel really strongly that we built the right tools. Um, we're proud of the success and the, and the way that uh, customers uh, choose to use our products. Uh, we also recognize that they choose to use other products, which is why we have interoperability built at the core in the ways that I mentioned. And again, as I, I mentioned a couple moments ago, the average sell-side uh, publisher uses many different platforms at the same time. The same is true on the buy side. And so we recognize that's a reality of the industry and one that we're leaning into as a part, uh, as opposed to leaning away from. All right. So no plans to sell or spin off the ad tech business as a result of this. That's correct. I am curious too, has there been any kind of pressure or, you know, lost faith with either the advertisers or publishers or ad tech players or all of the other different kind of you know, variety of people involved in, in digital advertising amid this kind of DOJ suit? And has it, has there been any kind of like redemption kind of play to win back any lost graces with, with these players? Or have you not really felt an impact on the business as a result? We're one of hundreds of companies that competes in this space. Uh, and, and quite frankly, while we have great uh, partnerships with our advertisers, our publishers, the agency partners that we work with, um, we are still competing every day. Uh, and so um, this is very much a, a visceral uh, part of doing business is understanding how competitive it is. And so uh, in many ways, when I talk to advertisers and when I talk to partners, um, the conversation uh, isn't about 
uh, oh, Google, you feel anti-competitive to me. It's Google, show me what you can do because I've got five other demand-side platforms that are uh, calling me uh, trying to earn more of my revenue. And by the way, I'm already doing business with them. And so uh, when I read some of the, the pieces in the DOJ's suit, it reads as a, a very much a, a, it paints a zero sum picture about how there's a winner and there's a loser in ad technology spaces uh, when the fact of the matter is interoperability is one of its core tenets. And so I guess the, the succinct answer to your question is that um, we're continuing to have great partnership conversations uh, with our advertisers and our publishers, and we're continuing to have to fight for business every day. Got it. Got it. So don't envy your position, but also, uh, yeah, I fair. Fair summation of what's going on. Um, so looking to get more adoption of the APIs, of Privacy Sandbox, kind of the winning over, you know, clients competing in that space. Curious, you know, heading into 2024, again, lots of changes going on, lots of changes going on in Chrome. But what's your kind of, I don't know, is it a, a marketing play, a sales strategy, like, you know, winning over more early adopters to some of these tools? So the conversation that I have most often with marketers is what do I need to do to be prepared for the changes in the ecosystem? The changes that have already happened and the ones that are coming down the pike. And I typically talk about three different legs of the stool, which also happen to be the main places of investment in the Google Ads business. First one is uh, increasing your investment in a first-party data strategy. And so we spoke a little bit about that earlier, but this is around making sure that you have uh, site-wide tagging making sure that you have a, a good analytics practice installed, making sure that you have the opportunity to provide your ad technology parties, uh, partners with data uh, that helps you understand what outcomes are being driven and therefore can optimize and go get more of them, whether that's with Google or another partner. The second is around uh, embracing AI. And we've made it 40 minutes into our conversation without someone at Google mentioning AI. I think I deserve a medal. Um, and that's but in all, all of our guests, to be completely honest. <laughs> AI comes in at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, 40, 40 minutes in, but um, good yep. time to enter into that. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, um, uh, AI uh, capabilities have been underlying uh, our ad technologies for many years now. It's typically been in the predictive and analytics uh, space, right? So conversion modeling, like we talked about before. Uh, tools like optimized targeting, which uh, take a, a basis of observed data and what we know about a subset of consumers, and then modeling uh, where we predict other consumers might be where we don't have that signal to still deliver relevant ads. Uh, or even Performance Max, which is probably the best example of taking uh, both that um, analytical um, AI and combining it with new generative AI tools uh, to help a customer move at the speed of consumer and find that next best conversion uh, regardless of the inventory source. And then finally, um, leaning into privacy-preserving technologies and recognizing that what got you here won't get you there in terms of the technology that you're using. And so uh, to sum it up, first-party data strategy helps fuel uh, AI-powered marketing and integrating new privacy-preserving technology. The last piece I'd say on AI is that um, while there seems to be quite a buzz about it in the landscape in 2023, the fact of the matter is, in addition to driving strong performance results in a status quo world, it also smooths out the bumps, if you will, as the privacy landscape changes because it makes your campaigns more nimble, uh, modeling where it doesn't have signal and measuring where it does. Yeah, and this is actually something that came up during the pre-bid summit as well that I was curious about because this kind of like modeling using either generative AI or just, I guess, like AI at large um, to predict segments or like, I guess, like, yeah, modeling versus like actually taking signals from existing users. Is is that what it is? Like, it, it seems like a interesting idea. And it was just briefly mentioned during this one panel. But um yeah, it could be any. It could be any number of things. I'll give you two examples. And so, uh, in search, right? Historically, um, there's been an entire industry built upon you know uh, uh, pivot tables and keyword lists and massive spreadsheets where you figure out what keywords is a consumer likely to search for, and those are what I want to show an ad against. Um, but then you introduce a tool like Broadmatch, uh, which is infused with large language models an AI-powered technology, which gets at the root of what a consumer is searching for. So 15% of queries that we see on Google every day are new. 
Uh, there's new modes of searching. People are searching with their camera. People are searching with their voice. It's not all just words on, on a keyboard. And so in order for um, tech, in order for practitioners to keep up with the speed of the consumer, tapping into AI to build on their understanding of what, what types of queries are going to be interesting but not needing to know the exact query is why broad match has become so uh, popular and successful with our advertisers. And um, advertisers that adopt broad match uh, can see up to 35% more conversions than uh, using exact match, for example. The second example that I'll give, which you touched on, um, around you know being able to predict different segments and things like that, it's actually much more simple than that. And so, you know, I came out of the broadcast industry, and Nielsen's been around forever, and and uh, and that takes into account uh, a ground truth, if you will, of uh, consumers that are saying, "Here are the things that I'm watching," or "Here are the websites that I'm visiting," and then you model for places where you don't have that level of ground truth. And so predictive um, AI technology uh, works in much the same way, although at a much greater scale and speed uh, than we've seen before. Is that a possible legitimate replacement to cookies? Is like, Do you think like predictive modeling could become like a useful kind of thing for the digital ad world? Absolutely. We're already seeing it as a tool in the toolbox. Um, one thing that, uh, that I have been saying uh, for at least a year, if not longer, to my teams is that um, there is no uh, silver bullet uh, for the changes in the landscape. I think uh, increasingly you're going to need a variety of solutions uh, to deliver against that promise of uh, strong digital marketing and effective and actionable measurement. And so we've spent uh, the first 20-plus years of the industry doing that through a very precise and outdated piece of technology with privacy drawbacks called a third-party cookie. Uh, at at the um, expense of not building trusted first-party relationships with, with your consumers that then you can use as your ground truth uh, to find your next best customer that's coming along next. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Something for me to, I guess, continue learning about because it, it was a fascinating thing that was mentioned and this is... It- yeah, the, the, the yeah the the renaissance on on AI and the and the increased interest in it uh, I think a lot of it is driven uh, by uh, generative AI and some of the things that you can touch and feel and tangible outputs like automatically created uh, assets and uh, you know responses to text prompts uh, and so on but the the underlying capabilities actually uh, are coming at a great time uh, when we're seeing uh, an opportunity and a need. Uh, to deliver more performance with less individual user-level data. And I also wanted to ask you about, um, and this was something that my colleague Seb um, Joseph had mentioned too, and I would love to get your thoughts on like multi-touch attribution and how attribution would be impacted because of the removal of third-party cookies. And I guess like the attribution kind of quandary in general, because there was a lot of kind of effort on the part of advertisers to figure out like, you know, where along the funnel did the user, you know, decide that they were going to convert? What convinced them? What, you know, pushed them over the edge? What's going to be done to mitigate the impact on, like, multi-touch attribution or, I guess, replace that kind of indicator um, along the funnel with the removal of third-party cookies? So one of the other APIs, which we haven't yet spoken about, uh, that's being developed in the Privacy Sandbox is called the Attribution and Reporting API. So it's meant to get at this exact use case uh, where we want to be able to have a good understanding of uh, what happened uh, after an ad was seen. Uh, Certainly you have uh, more of an opportunity to do that with a last-click attribution model, but most marketers are looking beyond that. They're looking for more data-driven models. They're looking for a multi-touch model. And so what the Attribution and Reporting API is, again, takes a signal that had privacy compromises and, and, and attempted to create what you would call a single view of the user, although in practice we, we've known with the, with the environment deteriorating for many years that that's long been kind of out of reach. Mm-hmm. And so being able to use the API uh, to deliver some level of ground truth, again, to help you understand what, what is happening, what's the effectiveness, and what's the path to purchase, for example, uh, based on uh, ad exposures and ad interactions and more, and turning that into uh, an attribution and reporting API that can help a marketer uh, understand what's working without having individual user-level information. And so that's yet another one of the APIs that we're actively testing and will be rolling out along with the rest of the ecosystem. Was that one of the APIs tested in Q2 this year um, when you did that kind of pause of cookies? That's not the right term of it yeah, at no, all. But <laughs> we'll, call it, we'll call it a topics test. We did a, we did a test of the topics API in Q2. Uh, and what we've been doing is um, testing in the background 
the Attribution and Reporting API, as well as the um, Protected Audience API, uh, formerly known as Fledge, um, in the background. And so now that those APIs are at general availability, um, we're leaning into testing those and making sure that the latency is low and making sure that the fidelity is high. And then we'll be rolling out end-to-end testing of all of those things, including publishing our results in Q1. Final question for you, because I know I've kept you for dawning on 50 minutes at this point. But um, I wanted to ask you, because you have a you know really kind of unique position in the digital ad market. But I'm really curious to understand what your kind of expectations are for 2024 in terms of... Um, like ad revenue, ad flow, um, you know, what you're kind of expecting. Do you feel optimistic, pessimistic, hesitant to make any kind of call? But I am curious to get your thoughts on 2024, um, especially because I think there was this hope that by mid-2023, there'd be kind of like a, you know, turnaround period or like a pendulum swing back. But yeah, what are you what are you thinking for the coming year? Well, certainly from a, a revenue or an advertising industry growth perspective, I'll, I'll only point you to our earnings calls. We we don't really comment on on financial performance or or trends with that regard. Uh, but what I can tell you is I'm feeling very optimistic. Uh, I'm also feeling that uh, as we head into 2024, a lot of these concepts that we've been talking about uh, around the need to shift your strategy from one that hangs on legacy third-party technology to one that's anchored on first-party technology uh, is really going to come home to roost, right? And so uh, the ad technology industry and really perhaps the marketing industry at all, we're famous procrastinators, right? And so I really feel like the first six months of next year are going to be very high energy, uh, very high urgency, uh, a lot of test and learn, uh, and a lot of um, collaboration uh, with industry uh, partners to try and find the right outcome for marketers uh, and and for publishers as well. And so I feel 2024 is going to be a big inflection point for the industry. Uh, and one of the things I've said to um, even my family is like, I, I kind of feel like my legacy uh, as, a, as an ad professional is to see the uh, transition of the ads landscape into one that is more private and one that really capitalizes on the innovation potential of AI. Uh, and I feel like next year is going to be um, very big on both of those fronts. Yeah, I think the procrastination metaphor is, is a funny one because it is, yeah, it's like, let's wait till the last minute and then really make sure we get it done and get it done well, um, which is something yeah, it's I one of the reasons to. we had a Google Analytics 4 countdown timer. Um, yeah, I, honestly, reason. That that's how I went through college, and uh, you know I turned out with a pretty good GPA. So let's hope the industry does that too. Um, I think you're, you went to you went to Penn State, right? I did go to Penn State. Yeah, yeah. I was I did a little LinkedIn connect on you. I was just there uh, uh, last fall for a game. Uh, went to the corner room. I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to go into champs. I'm, I don't think that's my demographic. No, it's not even mine anymore. And I am <laughs> only like six years out of college, if that. So it's a. Uh, yeah, but the corner room is a great spot for anyone that's visiting Happy Valley. Um, but thank you so much, Dan. This is great. Yeah, really enjoyed it, Kaylee. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.